Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show again. We've got a returning guest, Carrie McDonald. Carrie, welcome back. It's great to be back with you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Now, for those of the audience who have not heard of you before, tell us a little bit about yourself and why we would have you on to talk about education. Sure. So I am the senior fellow at the Foundation for Economic Education, which is the country's oldest libertarian think tank founded in 1946 to promote the ideas of liberty, including individual freedom, free markets, um, limited government, entrepreneurship and peace. Uh, I'm also the Valinda Johnson Family Education Fellow at State Policy Network. So a lot of my work focuses on both storytelling at fee through my articles and my twice weekly liberated podcast, and then more on the state policy side with SPN of helping to remove, identify and help to remove entrepreneurial barriers for uh, particularly education entrepreneurs who are working outside of the conventional school system to build schooling alternatives, uh, homeschooling, unschooling, micro schools, hybrid schools, learning pods, virtual learning platforms, uh, and to be able to, again, tell their stories and help make it easier for them to start and scale their organizations. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about the alternative schooling options uh, that you mentioned earlier. Now, before uh, the last few years, before all of the COVID stuff, you know, you'd hear about homeschool, and pretty much no one heard about unschooling, micro schools, all of those other things that you mentioned. How has uh, the recent unpleasantness affected the alternative schooling outlook? Well, interestingly, Jeff, I uh, my 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 2019 book, Unschooled: Raising Curious, Well-Educated Children Outside the Conventional Classroom, that was published in May of 2019. And in that book, I used the term microschools, and I started to talk about kind of the fledgling movement over the first couple of decades of the millennium toward um, homeschooling growth and diversification toward micro schools and self-directed learning centers and all of the different ways in which homeschooling families were self-organizing and creating uh, these sort of co-learning communities uh, to provide much more freedom and autonomy and flexibility for their children in terms of learning. So, so this was happening pre-pandemic, but interestingly, when um, the COVID school shutdowns began in the spring of 2020, and all of a sudden everyone was sort of at home living and learning alongside their kids, sales of my book skyrocketed. Uh, so kind of one year later. And then since then, we have just seen such a surge of interest uh, from all kinds of families, for all kinds of different reasons, uh, in conventional schooling alternatives. And as a result, entrepreneurs, kind of these everyday parents and teachers, are responding to that demand from parents for something different for their children's education and are building uh, these new education models. So it's just really exciting to see that energy and that enthusiasm continue. I think um, back in 2020, a lot of families were jolted out of maybe their contentedness or complacency with the default schooling options. Um, all of a sudden, they really got a chance to see what was happening in their children's classrooms and some of what they saw they didn't like. Um, but even beyond that, I think they started to see that teaching and learning could look differently. It didn't have to take place 
in an assigned district school. It could take place in other ways and other formats. And so there was this real openness among families to explore new alternatives. And then that, that opened the gateway for more entrepreneurs to build these alternatives and really just continued to build on that momentum that we saw uh, starting to increase in previous years. Right. So gateway's been open, entrepreneurs are flooding in, the momentum is increasing. What what challenges have been addressed or have been started to uh, be addressed? And what challenges are still remaining for people who want to give their children something besides the public school? So I, I, I guess I, I can answer that kind of in two ways. I think on the entrepreneur side, the challenges with entrepreneurship are the same in education as they are in other sectors. It's hard to be an entrepreneur. It takes a lot of uh, sort of intrepidness and, and um, drive and commitment and perseverance. So there, there is that piece of this. This is kind of wading into an unknown area. So entrepreneurs may encounter those kinds of challenges. Education entrepreneurs in particular uh, can find uh, greater challenges than perhaps entrepreneurs in other sectors because education is such a highly regulated sector, because there are barriers to entry and scale. Uh, some states have more barriers than others. But what I find is across the U.S., a real spirit of permissionless innovation uh, among these education entrepreneurs who are building out of system unconventional models, that they're finding ways around regulations, they are moving forward to create what their community wants, uh, and it's just incredible to see. On the, on the parent side, I think, um, you know, the, the, the challenge there is, of course, that we have this sort of monopoly system of government schooling um, that kind of takes the air out of the room for a lot of uh, competitors and a lot of entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And so I think for, for parents, there's sort of two things going on. One is that they may not know what's available in their communities beyond a district school, even though they may be more open to something different. And then the other thing is sort of uh, accessibility. And what I find is that a lot of these micro schools and hybrid homeschool programs, learning pods, these similar models already are a fraction of the cost of traditional kind of conventional private education options, often a third or a quarter of the cost of what you'd find in a traditional private school. But that could still be inaccessible to some families. And that's where I think we've also seen uh, over the past three years of education disruption increased um, uh, support for school choice policies that enable education funding to follow students instead of going directly to school systems. So similar to what we saw with micro schools and homeschooling kind of gaining momentum pre-2020, school choice policies were also gaining momentum pre-2020, but they have also skyrocketed in support since then. Uh, we currently have just in 2023 now eight states with universal school choice policies, meaning that every K-12 child in those states are, are able to access uh, some portion of education funding to use on various education, uh, you're going to prioritize private education um, uh, resources and micro schools and tuition at private schools and so on. Yeah, that's um, yeah so much progress. And actually, EdChoice just recently reported that once kind of the full effect of these universal programs uh, come into place, as well as some of these other programs that aren't quite universal, but might be income based in other states, 
uh, or for special needs students, that sort of thing. There'll be, uh, I think it's about 18 million students. So 37% of the overall US K-12 school-age population that would be eligible uh, for some kind of education funding to be used on private education resources. So we've seen that kind of accessibility piece uh, also become alleviated over the past few years. A couple of things. One, uh, you mentioning the uh, the innovators jumping in and uh, taking up the slack, and it makes me think about how often people say, we, we need the Department of Education, we need the public schools, because without them, nobody's going to get an education, nobody's going to go to school. And what we see instead is that people getting so sick of the public school system for whatever reason, subpar results, they don't like the content that's being taught, is they just try to innovate a different way around, despite all of the barriers that are there, as you mentioned. So without those barriers, you just imagine the kind of progress that could be made on this front It'd be really astounding. Yeah, and I mean, we had that kind of diverse and broad assortment of education offerings uh, before the advent of compulsory government schooling in the mid-19th century, uh, so kind of pre-1852 when Massachusetts passed the first compulsory attendance law in the states. Um, there were all kinds of different educational resources available to children and teens. There were um, private schools, public schools. There were church schools, uh, there were charity schools for the poor, there were dame schools, which were like nursery schools in your neighbor's kitchen. Of course, apprenticeships were one of the key ways that teenagers gained knowledge and, and education. Uh, homeschooling was the default and the expectation uh, for children's education really rested with families. And uh, we had you know, very, very high literacy rates, in fact, uh, upwards of 90% literacy rates for white Americans pre-1850. And of course, for Black Americans, the government was the one kind of preventing them from learning to read and, and gain literacy. It was sort of government um, laws against that. So when education was allowed to be kind of free and decentralized um, in kind of this marketplace uh, and ecosystem of offerings, there was high uh, educational attainment, high literacy, and lots of diversity for parents to choose from. Uh, and I think now we're starting to see uh, more of that decentralization. I mean, I think that's one of the silver linings from the disruption caused by the COVID response is that uh, parents and entrepreneurs really took education back uh, into their own hands and ended up creating these sort of bottom-up educational models that uh, go beyond kind of government-run schooling to really um, provide a much more diverse assortment of options. So that we're seeing different kinds of education approaches and philosophies flourish. There's really something for every family. Um, we're seeing not only kind of unschooling and self-directed models, which are the micro-schools that I talked about specifically in my unschooled book, but we're also seeing you know, Montessori microschools and Waldorf microschools and classical microschools and faith-based microschools. There's really something for every family so that hopefully we're seeing an education, um, more personalization and customization, just like we have in other areas of our lives, but for so long we have not had in education, uh, again, because of the influence of government-run schooling. Now, you've mentioned micro schools and you've mentioned what, like school learning pods, I think. Now, what, what exactly are those? What's the difference between them? 
Yeah, so micro schools uh, are, are is micro is often a catch all term for these unconventional learning models. Um, and often I find that education entrepreneurs will sort of self identify as a micro school or use micro schooling again as this umbrella term. It could mean anything from um, a recognized K to 12 private school to kind of a homeschool resource center, uh, all kinds of different things. But there's some key characteristics that we find with micro schools specifically, they tend to be uh, intentionally small co-learning communities, often mixed age, low cost. So they're just inherently accessible to more families because of that low cost, kind of low overhead, low bureaucracy. They have a highly individualized curriculum. Again, those curriculum could be very diverse in terms of um, what's offered and what's taught, but that there's a real focus on individualized, personalized learning, treating each individual child uh, and recognizing their needs and interests and how they vary from others. So those are some of the key characteristics. Micro schools can, again, sometimes be recognized K-12 private schools that would meet five days a week. Um, but they can also be more of these like homeschool resource centers that could have part-time enrollment options, as up to full-time enrollment options. Um, again, that will sort of depend on the ways in which the entrepreneurs want to structure their programs and the individual uh, state laws that they may be subjected to. Learning pods um, are really kind of a modern twist on homeschool co-ops in that they could be kind of parent-driven and take place in different families' homes throughout the week. Um, but sometimes learning pods, and we saw this certainly uh, during the COVID school shutdowns, which they were these pandemic pods that emerged, um, that sometimes involved hiring an educator or an adult facilitator to lead that pod. Pods tend to be even smaller than micro schools. So where micro schools could be, you know, 50 to 75 kids, uh, a pod might be more like a dozen kids. Uh, and again, it could either have parents taking turns in more of a co-op model or a hired educator uh, to facilitate that curriculum. So there's a lot of options out there. As an, as an education specialist, we'll say, what is your preferred one? Or I guess there's a couple ways uh, to look at that. What would you recommend to other people? What would you send your children to? Your opinions on that? Yeah, so my unschooled book um, lays out my preferred educational approach and philosophy, which is unschooling and self-directed education. It's really um, not relying on adult-imposed curriculum. It's allowing children's interests and passions to drive their own learning and not to be wedded to this idea of kind of forced schooling and what does school look like in terms of grades and academic competencies at certain levels and uh, sort of these traditional outcomes that we would look at. That doesn't mean that with unschooling, you might not use a traditional curriculum uh, or even take what we would consider very traditional courses and, and uh, transcripts. It just means that it's completely driven by the learner, uh, him or herself, and crucially, that he or she has the freedom to quit at any time, as just as adults do, that if we're not satisfied with a particular direction or if we want to take uh, kind of a different path, that we have the freedom to do that. It's extending that same freedom and learning 
to young people. So I'm always upfront by saying that that's my preferred educational philosophy and approach. But one of the things I love about my work now is to be able to spotlight all of the different education entrepreneurs who are building these unconventional learning models that embrace a wide variety of educational approaches. Um, so that that might be my preference, but it might not be your preference. And, and, and it's sort of recognizing that in a decentralized educational ecosystem, um, there should be a lot of choice and there should be a lot of variety so that we are able to find the right uh, educational fit for our child that kind of is aligned with their needs and our personal values and preferences. And, and I often use the example of a grocery store uh, breakfast aisle, right? That if we walk into the breakfast aisle of any major grocery store, we see a wide variety of breakfast options from, you know, pancake mix and breakfast bars and all kinds of different oatmeal varieties, as well as every, you know, possible cereal that we could imagine from, you know, Cheerios and Bran Flakes to Lucky Charms. Uh, so we have all kinds of choices when it comes in this case to breakfast cereal or breakfast uh, foods. And we are able to make choices based on our own preferences. And I could try to convince you that, you know, small batch organic granola is better than Lucky Charms. But um, I have to do that through, you know, persuasion. And I have to kind of convince you of the merits of that. And meanwhile, you could also convince me of your preferred breakfast food and why, uh, you know, those uh, qualities are superior. And so we can have that kind of, um, you know, back and forth um, sharing of, you know, what makes a particular choice better or preferable. But at the end of the day, it's this acknowledgement that we have all kinds of different cho choices to make and, and different variety. And, and none of us are the same. We all want different things uh, at different times for different reasons. Well said. Now, the unschooling, I'm partial to that model myself. Now, what would you say to someone who would look at that concept of child-led learning, letting the child look into what he or she is interested in, and they might think, but then what if my child doesn't learn X, Y, Z? What if they don't like math, and so then they're never going to learn math or another subject that the parent thinks is important and I think I can see there would be a real dimension of fear there because they want the best for their child. They want their child to have a good education. And there's the fear that unless they do this curriculum based thing where they're going to learn all the things they need to know, that then they won't learn that and the parent will have let their child down. I think that could be a really important barrier to this kind of unschooling, but in general, uh, letting go of the public school system. What would you say? to parents like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that um, I, I'd refer listeners and readers uh, or listeners and viewers to um, the work of Dr. Peter Gray, psychology professor at Boston College, who wrote the foreword to my unschooled book and also wrote a wonderful book called Free to Learn, um, where he talks about, you know, the, the natural drive for children to learn the tools of their culture. And, and in our culture, that would include being literate and numerate. Uh, and there are just lots of different ways that we can reach that, that goal. And with self-directed education and unschooling specifically, um, it's just placing the learner in charge, enabling them to kind of pursue their interests and passions. And from that, 
freedom and that autonomy, um, they're really able to learn so much more in many cases than we would learn in a conventional classroom because they're in charge of their learning. It's something that they're really passionate about, really interested in. It's not being imposed on them um, and sort of have this artificial uh, kind of forceful nature associated with it. And, you know, it's funny. So my three younger children attend the Sudbury Valley School, which is one of the self-directed education environments that I write about in Unschooled. Um, it's been around since 1968, and it was founded kind of um, modeled after the Summerhill School, which was founded in England in 1921 and was one of the sort of first self-directed schools still exists today now over 100 years later. And Sudbury Valley uh, has since led to the creation of many more Sudbury model schools, dozens of Sudbury model schools around the world that kind of embrace these principles of self-directed education. So I asked my daughter who, who goes to Sudbury Valley, I said, you know, someone asked me recently, um, you know, how, well, if your kids wanted to learn physics, how would they learn physics? And so my 12-year-old daughter said, well, if I want to learn physics, I'll learn physics. It's this sense of personal agency um, that these kind of unschooled or self-directed learners have that I think certainly I didn't feel when I was in a conventional K-12 public school classroom where education was something that happened to me. I played the game. I gave the teachers what they wanted in terms of uh, regurgitating information for, for tests and, and for papers. But it was definitely more of a game than kind of an authentic um, embrace of learning for the sake of learning and feeling really in charge of my own destiny and of what I wanted to achieve in life. And that it's wonderful to kind of see that, uh, that agency in my own children. And of course, today, self-directed education is so much more supported because we literally have uh, so much information at our fingertips. So if, again, a child wants to learn physics, uh, they have now access on their phones or, you know, just that kind of any kind of uh, computer or digital square um, access to some of the best physics professors in the whole world for free in many cases with some of these massive online uh, learning communities like Coursera and edX. Uh, of course, you have Khan Academy, the uh, free online resource that has all kinds of different information and curriculum in all kinds of different subjects. So it's never been easier uh, to be a self-directed learner, to be able to access information, to learn just in time, you know, when you're ready to learn it, when you want to learn it, when it's in pursuit of your own goals, uh, that we, I think it really forces us to kind of rethink this top-down, one-size-fits-all traditional educational model that's really mismatched for the realities of the 21st century. Let's say a parent agrees with you, is ready to get their children out of public school and try something else, but they don't know where to begin. They don't know where to start. What would be, in your mind, the first, the initial step that they should take? Well, I would start by uh, checking out my website and podcast uh, at liberatedpodcast.com and, and uh, kind of connecting with resources there and hearing some of the episodes that I share with these education entrepreneurs who are building these everyday models. But some other wonderful resources to look into are the National Microschooling Center, which has great resources, both for people who want to become education entrepreneurs uh, and create microschools in their own communities, as well as parents kind of looking for microschools 
in their communities. I would also recommend um, the Alternative Education Resource Organization, Arrow. Their website is educationrevolution.org. That's been around since 1989 to really um, promote and support alternative education models that are highly learner-centered, including unschooling and Sudbury model schooling and self-directed education. And then uh, sort of at the, at the hyper-local level, um, parents can search in local Facebook groups, find kind of parenting networks or even homeschooling networks, even if they're not specifically interested in homeschooling, it's often through homeschooling um, message boards and, and Facebook groups that you can find access to some of these micro schools and other kinds of learning uh, alter educational alternatives that again are just being created every day. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Katie. I'm gonna get as many of those links as I can in the description of this video, especially the one to your website. So that will be great. Any final words, final thoughts before we end for today? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I just would end by saying that um, there are just so many opportunities now for uh, parents to find just the right educational environment that they're looking for for their child. They're more accessible than ever. They're more abundant than ever. If your child is not joyful, is not eager to go to school, is not happy with their current learning environment, there are so many alternatives. And if you can't find one in your local community, don't be afraid to go out and build it. Wow, that's great advice. I don't think I was ever happy to go to public school. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there are some children out there who are, but the concept of being of learning and being happy at the same time i think that's a really powerful one and i think in theory everyone should be able to get behind that yeah i mean i think that's the real takeaway message right is childhood should be joyful learning should be joyful and if that's not the case right now with your own children uh try to find something else because they can be happy they can love learning they can be eager to go to school or whatever learning environment you've, you've chosen for them uh, they they can be in a place where they don't want to leave for weekends because it's such a magical experience. Those places do exist. Uh, you can find them. And again, if you can't find them, create them. Gary, thank you so much for talking to us about education today. I feel inspired. I hope everyone else who is listening does. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you so much for watching this video. If you like what we do here, please like, share, subscribe, comment and go over to our website where you can offer donations, request help, help us help people who are in need voluntarily. And we'll see you next time.